John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. For this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we come into this place this morning with many burdens and distractions. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit that you would enable us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive your truth without distraction. Lord, I pray this morning that you would make me nothing that I would be like John the Baptist, getting out of the way and pointing to Jesus. Help us to see Jesus this morning, to rejoice in the glorious message of the gospel and be encouraged to live as witnesses. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue our study in the gospel of John, it's important to be reminded of the purpose of John's gospel. Why is he writing this account on the life of Jesus? And he tells us his purpose in John chapter 20, verse 31. He writes, So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is answering the important question, the most important question in the world. Who is Jesus? All for the purpose that 
unbelievers would believe and believers would continue believing. But in order for people to believe, it's important for them to understand who Jesus is. And so John is building a case. And in order to build a good case, you need to call a credible and reliable witness to the stand. And this morning, John, the author of this gospel, calls another John, John the Baptist, to the stand. This morning, we are looking at the testimony of John the Baptist. That's what most of your Bibles have as the title for this section. And in verse 19, you see, it says, and this is the testimony of John. In the introduction of this book, John shows up twice as a witness. John the Baptist is a witness to the word. He's a witness to the light. He's a witness to Jesus. In all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John mention John the Baptist. He is an important figure in the story of Jesus. But what we will see this morning, although he is important to the story of Jesus, he did not think too highly of himself. John was full of humility and desired always to put the spotlight on Jesus. He directed the popular attention away from himself. His role was not to save, but to point people to the one who can. And so in these verses, we will see two things. In verses 19 through 28, we will see John's witness of himself. And then in verses 29 through 34, we will see John's witness for Jesus. But the main point, what I hope you see in the text this morning is this is that those saved by Jesus, the Lamb of God, point to him and not themselves. Those saved by Jesus, the Lamb of God, point to him and not themselves. But in order for us to understand what is happening in our text this morning, we need to keep in mind that for 400 years, God's people had been waiting. For 400 years, God was silent. There were no prophets speaking on behalf of God. But then out of nowhere, crowds started gathering around the Jordan River at a place that was kind of out of the way. And it all seemed to center around a preacher in the desert. There was quite a buzz in fact, Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 says this, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John the Baptist. And so word gets round to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they want to know more information about what is going on. And that's where we pick up in our text this morning. The religious, religious leaders in Jerusalem send out these priests and Levites to investigate, or maybe you would call it an interrogation, about what was going on in the wilderness. And as these investigators report the crowds of people coming, confessing their sins and being baptized, they approach John the Baptist to interrogate him because he's being put on trial. And 
The interesting thing is that this interaction that John has with his interrogators is that it's, it's, it's kind of funny, it's kind of humorous what happens. These men have traveled far from Jerusalem. They need to obtain evidence. They, they need to get a statement. But John's responses are short. And they're kind of cold. Look at verse 19. They ask him, who are you? And John says, I am not the Christ. He answers in the negative. So then in verse 21, they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? He says, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So we have a five-word answer, then we have a three-word answer, and then a one-word answer. And they're all negative. I am not the Christ. I am not. No. That's all they can get out of him. This is one of the worst interviews ever. If this was like a news reporting or a podcast, these guys would have to improvise, find someone else to interview. Imagine the, the, the look on these priests and Levites and, and imagine what they're feeling in this moment. You could almost feel their frustration because they know that they were, are with someone who is great. It's amazing news that thousands of Jews are coming, confessing that they are unclean and coming to be baptized. A huge work of God is happening and they wanna know what's going on. And so they're like, bro, who are you? We need to get back to Jerusalem and give a report. And they've tried all the obvious questions. Are you the Christ, which means Messiah? Are you the one who is coming to deliver? Nope. All right, well, are you Elijah? And this is a decent question because he looked like Elijah. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, and the Jews knew that Elijah was going to come again. In fact, the final words of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, it says that Elijah will come again before the day of the Lord. And so they ask him, are you Elijah? John says, no, I'm not him. All right, well, if you're not the Christ and you're not Elijah, are you the prophet? They're thinking of uh, the one whom Moses prophesied prophesied in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. But John says, no. He's very clear in each denial. So then in desperation, they ask in verse 22, who are you? We need to know who you are so that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John answers in verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John has given his negative answers. I am not the Christ. I am not. No. And now he finally answers in the positive. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and says, I'm a voice, but I'm just a voice. I'm not the message. Jesus is the word. John the Baptist was just a voice. Making straight the way of the Lord, he says, I'm a street sweeper. I'm the one who clears the path 
for the Messiah who is coming. John's ministry was one of preparation. But do you see what John is doing here? John is pointing away from himself. He could have answered these questions in a different way. Who are you? John could have said, I'm John, son of the priest Zechariah. Or I'm not the Christ, but technically I'm his cousin. His mom came and visited my mom, and I leapt in the womb when I heard her voice. But no, John has no interest in making much of himself. And so they asked him, well, then if that's all you are, then why are you baptizing? And John really doesn't answer their question here. Instead, he points to Jesus. Look at verse 26. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John says, I'm only baptizing with water. But more importantly, there is someone standing among you that you do not see, that you do not know. Remember in the prologue, it says the light was in the world, and yet the world did not know him. There's one among you that stands, and you do not know. Even though he comes after me, he's more important. He's so important that I am unworthy to even untie the strap of his sandal. John says, I don't even deserve to serve him. And each time John has this opportunity to focus on himself, he shifts the focus onto the Messiah. John sees every question as an opportunity to speak about Jesus. Who am I? I'm just a voice. I baptize with water. But let me tell you about Jesus. He wants everyone's eyes off himself and on the one who came to save. And this is how we need to live as Christians we need to follow in the footsteps of John the Baptist because Satan, the world, and even our flesh will tempt us to do the opposite, to think highly of ourselves, to build our own following, to seek our own glory. But this is not what a follower of Jesus is to be like. What does John say later on in John chapter 3, his famous line? that should be on the lips of every Christian in our, in our minds and in our hearts. John says in John chapter three, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. This was the theme of John's life. More of Jesus and less of me. He is a great example of true humility. Because John was a significant person. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, that among those born of women, there are, has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet, John declines all the flattering titles and considers himself just a voice and instead exalts Jesus. And it was important for John to confess what he wasn't. I am not the Christ. 
We need to do that too. As a pastor who is responsible to shepherd the flock, to care for the church, I'm a public figure, but I must remind myself, and you must be reminded as well, that I am not the Christ. Pastor Scott is not the Christ. And then even in your own lives where you feel like you need to have control, parents, you may have children who have no interest in Jesus or his church, and you need to remind yourself that you cannot be the savior of your children. You are not the Christ. Maybe you're someone who sees the brokenness in our world and you want to bring about change. You want to right all the wrongs. You want to be all things to all people. Well, guess what? You can't. You are not the Christ. While others around him claimed to be somebody, John was just a witness. He simply pointed to Jesus. And so the question this morning is, are you determined to get out of the way and point to Jesus? In your interactions with with people, have you been pointing to yourself or pointing to him? There's a great tendency to be in the spotlight, to be known and noticed, and this can consume us. We need to confess when we have taken the spotlight off of Jesus. We must repent and ask God to help us grow in our witness. Let Jesus be on our lips always. We are a church that is known for being very welcoming. And that's a great thing to be known for. But more than that, we should be known as a church that points to Jesus. That when people around the community talk about our church, oh yeah, Calvary Baptist, oh, they're in love with Jesus. They point people to Jesus all the time. That's the goal. May Jesus be on our lips more than anything else. When people walk through those doors, may they be overwhelmed with our hospitality, but also our love for our Savior. I heard a pastor say once, that Christianity at the heart is about men and women saved from hell through Christ, through his cross, for heaven. So we're not making any contribution to people's forgiveness if we're not pointing them to Jesus. Think about that. We're not making any contribution to the real need that people have if we're not pointing them to Jesus. If at the end of the day, we are not pointing to Jesus, we are living in disobedience. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that witnessing isn't about living the Christian life in front of people. Witnessing is actually telling people about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. He is the only one who can save. And yes, I I know it's, it's hard to get Jesus into some conversations. But that's the call of the Christian. Make it your goal this week that when you enter the classroom, the office, the train station, the car as you drive your kids to school, the grocery store, the dinner table, that Jesus would be on your lips. 
Here's a helpful tip on how to prepare your heart for this. In the morning when you wake up, get alone with Jesus and pray this simple prayer. Jesus, help me point to you today and not myself. May I decrease and you increase. Less of me, more of you. We need to do that every morning. We are meant to be witnesses, to point to Christ, to shine the spotlight on Jesus. We've seen John the Baptist witness about himself, pointing away from himself, and now we'll see his witness of Jesus. Take a look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The very next day, John the Baptist sees the one who he's been talking about and declares he is the Lamb of God. Later on, he calls him the Son of God. Why should Jesus be the focus? Why should the spotlight be on Jesus? Well, this verse gives us two reasons. The first is because of the problem of sin. According to John, Jesus has come to take away this problem. Look at the verse. Jesus says, behold, look, fix your eyes on this one who does what? He takes away the sin of the world. We have a great problem, the problem of sin. And Jesus has come to solve this problem. But what does that word sin mean? We kind of talk, it about, talk a lot about it. It's kind of a Christian term. What does that word sin mean? Well, sin has lost its sting in our world in a bad way. It's lost its true meaning. You can go to a restaurant and read on a menu that their chocolate cake is delightfully sinful. Sin has become a word to describe something that is something that we shouldn't do, but we do it anyway because it's fun. Some people think that sin isn't that serious. But according to the Bible, there is nothing good about sin. It's not just doing things that we shouldn't do. Sin is to ignore the God who created us in the world that he created. It is us making our own rules. Sin is rebellion against God, and it's deceitful. It appears to be something that it isn't. It appears to be good when it's bad. It claims to satisfy, and yet we're always left hungry. It pretends to be the answer, but it is the problem. Those who were expecting a Messiah were expecting a deliverer who would deliver them from political issues that they were having. The greatest problem in their minds were those who were oppressing them. And for many of us, we think our greatest problems are things such as corrupt governments, poverty, poor education, gun violence, war, Yes, these are problems, but our greatest problem is sin. Our sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death, and the punishment for our sin is an eternity in hell. 
Sin is serious. And the Bible is clear that God records every thought, word, and deed in our lives. It's all on record. And if you don't believe me, Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Wow. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. All is laid bare. And Hebrews tells us there will be an accounting. Judgment is coming and you cannot escape it. God knows what you've been thinking, what you've been saying, and what you're, you've been doing your whole entire life. And deep down, most of us know that he knows it. That's why we feel guilty. Guilt is actually a warning signal. The reason we feel guilty is because we are guilty. Our sin is serious, and God will punish it at the end of our lives. And the result will be separation from God. And what the, the Bible, the biblical word for that is hell. Jesus is the one who warns us again and again about the reality of hell. And hell is not something that Christians like talking about. In fact, it's a horrific thought that some of the people that we love dearly are going there. But we have to talk about it. We have to address the problem because it's serious. And in order for people to see their need for a savior, they need to understand the problem. Some of the people that I love the most are going to hell. Our sin is the greatest problem that we have. If we pay for our sin, we will go to hell for eternity. But verse 29 doesn't only talk about the problem of sin. Amen? It emphasizes the solution to sin. John says, behold, look, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. The very first thing that is said about Jesus as he enters the scene is that he's a lamb. A lamb. And so for us with our Western ears, it's difficult to appreciate what John is saying here. But as one commentator says, it brought an avalanche of meaning to the Jewish mind. There's no doubt that the first thing that came to the minds of those in John's day was a sacrifice. The people of Israel were familiar with lambs being sacrificed at Passover. Each family had to have a lamb to sacrifice. And during the year, two lambs a day were sacrificed at the temple, plus all the other lambs that were brought as sacrifices. The whole Old Testament had taught the people of Israel that the heart of the problem of sin was the problem of a sinful heart. And God had emphasized that the only way to deal with this, 
The only way to deal with sin and the separation that it caused was through a sacrifice. There was no forgiveness of sin unless blood was shed. When John called Jesus the Lamb of God, he was likely thinking of the book of of Isaiah, thinking of the servant who bore the griefs of the people, who was pierced for their transgressions. And then Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. John's statement made it clear that Jesus would be the sacrifice for sin. God has provided the Lamb of God, for our deepest need. Those sacrificial lambs in the past, they were brought by men. But here is God's Lamb, given by God himself. Those lambs could not take away sin, but this Lamb can. Those lambs were for Israel alone. This lamb would shed his blood for the whole world. Phil Riken says this, first God provided one lamb for one person, Abraham. The next, God provided one lamb for one household and the Passover. And then God provided one sacrifice for the whole nation on the Day of Atonement and now a lamb for the whole world. Isn't this amazing? That the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the nations, not just Israel, he takes away my sin, and if you know him, he takes away yours. We deserve to die for our wrongdoing. And the only way to be saved is if God provides a substitute. And God has done that in the person of Christ, the Lamb of God. He takes away sin. And so you need to think, was John the Baptist right or not? Is this the Savior I need? Because if John was right, then your biggest problem and my biggest problem is not a lack of education, it's not politics, it's not certain circumstances that we're going through. Your biggest problem and my biggest problem is the same. It's sin. We are sinners and we need a savior. And if you see your need, then trust in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who took our sins upon himself and bore them in his body on the cross. And if we come to him for forgiveness, then we will not be punished for our sins. Isn't that great news? You may think you're too bad. Maybe that one thing that you did, that's, that, that's the thing that God will not forgive. Look at this verse again, verse 29. He takes away the sin of the world. Whoever comes to Jesus and asks for forgiveness, you can be assured that your sins have all been paid for. That's why the spotlight must be on Jesus. This is why John the Baptist points away from himself and points to Jesus. 
And then John says in verses 30 through 34, this is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. In these verses, John again is pointing to Jesus, emphasizing his superiority, emphasizing his greatness, the fact that he is the son of God. Jesus is God. <clears throat> and so John says, don't get overimpressed with my water baptism. It's just water. John's baptism was just a sign. It was a picture of what Christ shed blood was going to do to cleanse. So we have seen Jesus takes away sin, but Jesus is also the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. These two truths are here to point out that when a man or a woman comes to Christ in repentance and in faith, not only is your sin removed, but you are indwelled you're empowered, you're baptized, you're filled with the Spirit of God. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at your conversion. It causes you to be born again, to believe in Jesus, and it enables you to live a life that rejects sin and lives for God. And so upon salvation, a believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus also calls all who believe in him to be baptized by immersion in water. That's not in the text. But John's baptism included those people who have repented their, of their sins and who are awaiting the Messiah. But now the Messiah has come. And so baptism does look different today. Jesus now commands his disciples to be baptized as a sign of them identifying with his life, death, and resurrection. To identify with his death. To identify with his burial. To identify with his resurrection. And so if you are here today and you're a believer in Jesus and you've not been baptized, I encourage you to obey the Lord's command to be baptized. Please come talk to me or talk to Pastor Scott We'd love to explain more what it looks like to follow Jesus in this way. And then lastly, John says this. I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. John pointed to Jesus because Jesus alone is qualified to bear the weight. He is qualified to take on our sins himself because he is not just a man. He is God. He is the Son of God. And so our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus Christ is able to forgive those sins because he is the Son of God. Because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so if you're not a Christian, 
you're sitting here today, I encourage you to take this seriously. Don't pay for your sin yourself in hell. Turn from your sin and believe in Jesus. He has taken away all the sins of those who believe in him. And if during this service you feel like God has been speaking to you or you have questions or something's going on, don't suppress it. Please come see me or anyone here at the front at the end of the service. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. But don't hold off on God's gracious offer to you. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus today. And if you are a Christian, rejoice. Rejoice in your forgiveness. Praise God for his grace and mercy towards you. And know since you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you are enabled to be a faithful witness of Jesus. Because the role of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus and to glorify Jesus. And so make your life less of you and more of him. Make it your aim to point people to Jesus. Because if we believe that sin leads to hell, there is only one reason why we don't point people to Jesus. It's because we don't love them. If we truly believe that sin leads to hell, the reason why we don't evangelize the reason why we don't tell our neighbors, the reason why we don't tell our friends about Jesus is because we truly don't love them. A couple friends and I have been going slowly through this book on evangelism by this pastor in the UK named Rico Tice. And in this book, Rico, Rico shares a story about this friend that he had in college. And this friend heard a recording of a sermon that he gave. And they've been friends for a while. And in the sermon, Rico talked about the reality of sin and hell. And this unchristian friend got very upset with him because he said, if Rico calls himself a friend of mine, the fact that he said nothing about what he believes means that he cannot care about me and our friendship means nothing. If he really cared, then he would have said something. There are people in your life right now that are ripe for the gospel message that would feel that same way if they knew what you knew. Friends, everyone needs Jesus. Sin is the greatest problem that our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our classmates have. And if we love them, we will warn them and point them to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who in your life can, can you point to Jesus? Those saved by Jesus, the Lamb of God, point to him and not to themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled this morning at your love and your mercy that you've shown us. What a privilege it is that we can know your beloved son 
the son that you did not spare, but gave him up for us to take away the sin of the world. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to point to Jesus and not to ourselves. Help us to see who we are not so that we can find great freedom in who you are. We thank you for Jesus who has paid it all. We pray in his name. Amen.